Hi, this is Darren White, Executive Director of the Center for Sports Analytics at Samford University. And this is a one-on-one with ADC Partners. Hi, this is Dave Elmy of ADC Partners, and let's start with an admittedly tortured analogy. Using a data and analytics is a little like going to the gym. You know it's important and good for you, but man, can it be hard to get started. Now, no one knows this better than my guest, Dr. Darren White, the Executive Director of the Center for Sports Analytics at Samford University in Birmingham, Alabama. You see, in this role, Dr. White has created the leading sports analytics program in the nation. But it's not your typical ivory tower stuff. I'm far from it. Dr. White and his students are working with sports teams and big sports marketing brands to make the best use of the oceans of data that surround them. And the result has produced measurable results for everyone involved in these partnerships. In our conversation, we talk about the evolution of sports marketing from being a CEO's plaything to an integral part of the marketing mix how that evolution has placed new demands on teams and brands, and why the effective use of data and analytics is now critical to sports marketing partnerships. Oh, and you can also calm down because he explains why artificial intelligence isn't coming for your job. Yet. Enjoy. Darren White, let's wind back the clock a little bit, if we could, because you started your career in academia, and you were teaching marketing classes, at the univer- at Union University, and uh, but you're also the head soccer coach. Um, yeah. So I'm curious, as someone who's you know obviously gone to great heights in uh, data and analytics and sports marketing and all those things, I'm wondering how that time at Union, with both teaching classes and coaching, sort of laid a foundation for for where you find yourself today. Can you go on a little bit about that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, back in those days, I had no idea that I'd be doing what I'm doing today because honestly, <laughs> back in those days, this didn't even exist. Yeah. And I run a program in sports marketing and analytics in our business school at Stanford University. And 20 years ago, there was not a single business school in the nation that had anything like this. So no, I think we were still using uh, abacuses at that point. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So uh, it was actually 20 years ago, Oregon, the University of Oregon started the very first sports marketing program. And so so anyway, so back in those days, I was coaching college soccer. I had my PhD in marketing. So I really had these two different lives that seemed to have nothing in common at all. all. Right. I will say I often thought to myself, this is the weirdest thing in the world. I spent half my day teaching MBA level marketing strategy and the other half day recruiting, you know, soccer players from Africa or whatever. And so, you know, just being like, what is, what's going on right here? Right. Well, that was all laying the groundwork though, for the day that is now upon us. So, uh, and so basically the story was when I got done with coaching after about 10, 11, 12 years of coaching, I was ready to try something different. And I'd kind of learned sports marketing and analytics through my own team. It was sort of a living lab, if you will. And, uh, and so I'd done, done all of this with my own team, but then, when Sanford came a calling and say, Hey, we're thinking about wanting to start a program. Oregon has started one. And we're thinking about being the first school in the South to do something like this. And you'd be perfect because I've got, I already had the PhD, already had all the academic training, but then I also had all this experience with sports. Yeah. You ticked all the boxes. Yeah. And so I was like, wow, that sounds really cool. Plus I'm from Birmingham and Sanford's in Birmingham. So it's a chance to come back home. So we, we jumped at it. My wife and I just like, let's do this. And so, after- so it's fair to say then that it was really the, um, 
the coaching part of it that sort of first gave you an inclination of how data, how analytics could improve or inform your experience. Can you can you pinpoint that moment or what it was when you look back at your coaching experience and said, oh, wow, I could really use this effectively? Yeah, it was actually at the National uh, Collegiate uh, Soccer Association National Conference one year, about three or four years into my college coaching career, I got to hear a talk by Anson Dorrance, mm. a women's soccer coach at North Carolina. Yeah. I won, I don't know, golly, 25. A bunch. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think that's <laughs> the technical time, term. Yeah. <laughs> at one time, he was the winningest coach in American sports history, period. I mean, yeah. not full stop. Anyway, so he presented on his sort of analytics approach that he actually got from Dean Smith, interestingly enough. Huh. Yeah. And so, and so basically Anson tracked every single time a player was on the field, every shot they took, every, everything they did was tracked and it, when, it, when it was recorded. And so I adopted that because as an academic, oh, that really sounds pretty cool. So yeah, I went out. Okay. So it scratched that itch a bit for you too, didn't yeah, it? Yeah. Yeah. And so I started collecting all this data and we would publish it and put it up and we started using it. And interestingly, all of a sudden we started having a lot more success on the field too. Huh. We started more games and the players loved it and so that was really it was money ball for soccer before there was even such a thing really that's before money ball was even money ball you were soccer yeah. ball <laughs> All right. right yeah but it's not like marketing is devoid of data right that other side of your personality that right. other side right. of your experience it's not like marketing doesn't use a lot of data or try to inform their decision making using right. data even 20 25 years ago so i'm curious right so you know sports has always used and always had access to a ton of data and, and analytics, right? Just, you know, reading the, the baseball, you know, box scores right. as a kid, right. you know, right? just laden with data. And similarly, like I just said, marketing has always had a bunch of data through surveys and focus groups and all the things that they try to do there. But it feels like the combination of those two things, mm -hmm. sports marketing has yeah. lagged a bit in using data, right? It was like, you know, that sort of apocryphal story of, eh, you know, the CEO likes golf, so let's sponsor a golf tournament. Right. Right. Um, why do you think it lagged? Yeah, yeah. Well, so sports twenty years ago wasn't even no one thought of sports as a business. Yeah, like that whole concept. And it really back back in the you know up up to about two thousand, most people would think of sports. Even the NFL was thought of more in terms of uh, almost like a nonprofit. It was more you know you'd go to a, a team. Yes, a team would go. In fact, one of our board members is the uh, senior vice president of partnerships for the Braves. Okay, and he's worked there for thirty years, and he remembers the days when they would just sort of go around to the the companies in Atlanta and say, "Hey, do you want to give us some money, and we'll put up a sign on the fence." That was about it. You know, that was it. <laughs> Very and technical. Now, yeah, and and now you just look at where the revenue generation is is going on in pro sports when it comes to partnership marketing. It's in the billions and billions of billions yeah. of dollars way more sophisticated, lots of data collected, you know, in terms of measurement and all of that. And so it's really, yeah, I mean, that really, it's just, it's just the the whole way we view sports as a business has changed. And, uh, and I got a theory as to why that is. But, I want to hear but, it. You know, okay. okay yeah. So, and again, this is coming from one of my board members, uh, who's the president of, of an NFL team. Mm -hmm. uh, we asked him this back a few years ago and his theory was that it all goes back to Jerry Jones mm. and it goes, God, why Jerry did I Jones. feel, I had this like weird feeling <laughs> that Jerry Jones's name was going to come up, but okay, go, go ahead. Yeah, no doubt. And so uh, according to, in, in the, the board member I'm talking about is uh, Rich McKay, president of the Falcons and okay. Rich at the time was working for the, I think the Tampa Bay Bucks. And, uh, and he even says, I remember back in the nineties, 85% of our revenue at the Bucks came from one check, the media rights check from the NFL office. So he said, we really didn't do much of anything to even, I mean, we just like got the big check and Hey, we're, yeah. Right. Big, you didn't even need to sell a ticket. Yeah. You got 85% no. of your revenue just got no. sent in. 
Yes. And so as Jerry Jones was really the first one that started recognizing the revenue generation potential of the cowboy brand mm -hmm. and started becoming really innovative in driving revenue. And they and he's been doing it for 25 years. And then other NFL teams were like, uh oh, we gotta we gotta keep up, right? And then it went from the NFL to MLB and now it's literally gone around the world and it's even gotten to college football now. And so it's it really goes back to that according to according to Rich. Well, and but, it's funny, you think about how even uh, I don't want to use the word controversial, but it was kind of shocking to me. I think a lot of the other NFL owners is like, hey, wait a minute, we've got a league deal with Coca-Cola and yeah. you're selling huge partnerships to Pepsi. There was this kind of um, shock and awe aspect of what they were doing. And some, I think, owners were even commenting on, is that even the right thing to do? Seems almost quaint now looking back for it with the money-making machine that is the NFL and how they carve out categories and all those things like that, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, and I, you know, college sports is another good example of that. It was um, again one of my, another one of my board members, uh, Jim Host, and he, Jim Host, was a very he was the first one that convinced the NCAA to have partnerships for their what at that time was called the NCAA Men's Basketball Tournament. Like <laughs> that was it. And so you know, and well, we are uh, dipping back into history a little bit here, aren't we? <laughs> so he, he he was literally it was a, it was Pizza Hut. He actually convinced yeah. people. Uh, I don't know if you remember back in the day, but they had those little small basketballs, uh -huh. and, and that was that was the first uh, major partnership. And, and, it, and it took him years to convince the NCAA to actually even do that because you know. And they and then the very first time they did it, he tells the story. It's actually in his book. Uh, Mr. Host released a book on the, the the business of college sports, which is really interesting. But he tells a story about I had a, a warehouse in Memphis with ten thousand of these basketballs, and literally after the first two games of the tournament. Pizza Hut called him up and said, we're out of basketballs. Help. <laughs> That's a lot of basketballs. Yeah. So anyway, so that was the beginning of the whole college sports kind of getting into this whole space of revenue generation. And so it's, uh, it is a remarkable how far we've come in terms of adopting business practices in, you know, in sports in the last 20 years. And are... it's also, you know, we are talking about a relatively in the, in the history of marketing and things like that, we are talking about a relatively short span of time in which, I think brands in particular, and I want to shift the lens a little bit away from teams for the moment and talk a little bit about the brand side and how they use marketing to take all that data and use it effectively, right? And I think that's probably one of the biggest challenges associated with it. And I'm curious as to, in your experience and in the, in the brands that you've looked at that are using data and analytics to shape their approach to partnerships and sports marketing, who what brands are doing it the best and and what separates them from their peers in your opinion yeah yeah that's a great question and, and right off the bat you know who comes to mind is coca-cola yeah uh, we one of you know we've got a we've done a couple of projects with coca-cola we had one of their top executives on our advisory board and uh, and coke collects an incredible amount of data around all of their sport partnerships. Mm. And of course, they spend, you know, hundreds of millions every year on, on their sport partnerships. Like that Coca-Cola calls them their toys, you know, <laughs> they're, uh, they're, <laughs> you know, but they have, you think about I me mean, there, I think they have, at least the last time I checked, they had 12 NFL teams, you know, college game day, they've got the U S women's national team, which is of course about to play a big tournament coming up. And so, uh, and so it's an incredible array of properties. Yeah, huge array of properties. And so Coke does a great job, though, of measuring the effectiveness of all of those different partnerships against their marketing objectives. Mm -hmm. 
And that's a that's a big part of the the challenge is always because every brand is going to have a different objective that they're trying to achieve with those partnerships. And so therefore, the measurement has to take that into account. Right. And so but you are right as far as data. We now, of course, we now have access to data like we never have before with, you know, with all the social data. We work quite a bit with a company called Zoom. Uh, we work with the, you know, we actually have access to their data. So we use a lot of their data. Um, you know, so it's just, there's just a lot more data out there now to measure these partnerships. Do most of the partners, like the brands, do they come to you saying, look, if we have this data, you know, we don't know what to do with it and we want your help interpreting it. Or is it more along the lines of <laughs> more broadly a help? Like we know yeah, we yeah. should be using data. We just don't really know how. Yeah. The latter? Yeah, honestly, it is. Most, uh, you know, most even companies and teams both. Yeah, okay. kind of on both sides of it they they uh you know because again it used to be back the, the reason that a brand had sport partnerships back in the day was maybe again because the ceo loved whatever so <laughs> therefore we have a box of the game right, right? Yeah. we're gonna we're gonna do it nowadays those decisions are made with much more sort of marketing strategy in mind and mm -hmm. there's we think of they think of their their uh their marketing their sport marketing assets as a portfolio and how do we reach you know, our audiences. So there's a lot more strategy kind of involved in that. So therefore there has to be measurement kind of that lines up with that. And right. And so, so, but again, back to your question, you know, we get a, we get a lot of that where, where a brand or a team will come to us and just sort of say, we need, we need to some way or another justify this spend because it's a big, big line item, you know, on the brand's budget and the CFOs are wanting to know like, now, why are we spending all this money on having a partnership with this team? You know, is this actually driving revenue? And so, uh, and so there's more pressure being put on teams now to actually, so a lot of these contracts, for example, nowadays actually have measurement as part of the contract that's relatively new within the last few years. And so, so we get kind of involved in all of that as a sort of a third party coming in and helping that process. So are you assisting the teams in responding to brand contracts about the measurement component or does it work the other way or is it a little bit of both? It's both. It's yeah. both. Yeah. We, we, uh, we have, uh, so one of the organizations that we, their presidents on our advisory board is uh, Matt Yonan with Tigris Sponsorship and Marketing out in Denver. Mm -hmm. And so they do quite a bit of work, primarily on the brand side. You know, they do a lot of work. And so we'll come along and help them sometimes with some of that. Uh, but then more and more, you're getting teams. Are, you know, again, teams didn't used to have to worry about this. Literally no. a team, what used to be a team would just sort of give you a, uh, at the end of the season, they tell you how many fans came in the gate, what the total impressions were. Very, very. It's normally an intern that filled out that report. And here's a picture yeah. of your sign. Thank you very much. Yeah, and yeah, see you yeah next and year. that was it. Yeah, yeah. And so nowadays, teams are being kind of required by the brands to be much more sophisticated in their measurement. And so that's really where we get involved. We work. We we being the Center for Sports Analytics tend to work way more on the team side. Yep. Than we do on the on the brand side. And you tip, typically you're going to work on one or the other. And that's uh, yeah. Do you find that most brands come with a set expectations like, hey, here's what we need from a measurement standpoint. We need you to be able to activate that. Or do they come to the team saying, what can you what can you do to help us here? Yeah, again, I mean, I, I can't give you exact. Yeah, sure. But I mean, there, I'm thinking in my head of a, of a brand that we're working with right now and a team we're working with. And what that particular brand is wanting is so unsophisticated <laughs> and, and if i were to tell you the brand you'd be like oh my gosh this is like a i'm never buying that again <laughs> yeah Fortune 100 type company and like yeah. all they want to know is like what is the level of brand awareness within the fan base like that is their their metric they're they're asking wow for. yeah pretty basic i'm like and that and that has you know literally brand awareness has almost nothing to do with the, the marketing objective that this brand is trying to achieve right right yeah so, yeah so you know so yeah so each 
each situation is a little different. You've got to really kind of dig in. So we're about to start a project with uh, with an NFL team up north, and uh, we're going to be doing measurement around three of their big partners this coming this coming season. So the very first meeting we're having is with all three of the partners to find out what is the marketing objective of these partnerships and how does this fit into your overall marketing strategy. And then we step back and, and develop the measurement around that objective, if you will. So. Do you find that most of those partners are able to effectively articulate what it is they're trying to accomplish? Is that a, is that a tough road or most of them come with this pretty set expectations well-defined? It's about 50, 50. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, some do, uh, you know, some do, but, but, Again, and you you ask yourself, well, why? Well, it's mainly because again, you go back just ten or fifteen years. Many of these companies that are heavily invested in sports marketing weren't, and and ten or fifteen years ago, there weren't your know, marketing executives that were being trained in business schools weren't being trained in sports marketing. Yeah. So it was so we're, never we're a discipline. Really, I mean, we're we're really generating the very first group of of sports industry executives that are trained to sort of think this way and can help you know can help a team think uh, a brand think about how to. How does that sports sponsorship fit within the grand marketing strategy? If I'm a brand and I wanted to get started using data and analytics more effectively, what what should I not do? Like, what are the mistakes that brands and teams make when thinking about how to use all this data and analyze it effectively from what I perceive as my business outcomes? What are the challenges? Yeah, well, the, I mean, the first step always is to understand what data is available to yeah. us Right. And then looking at that, what data might we also want to have that we maybe don't have. Right. right. So, so I'll give you an example. We we did a, a project for a brand that was on a uh, an NBA jersey, uh, you know, the patch, the patch. Mm -hmm. And uh, and again, they were same, same, same thing. They were like, well, we want to know if this is working. And it, is, it does. We spent X number of dollars. We want to know what our return on investment was. Right. That's sort of what they came to us. Well, in this particular case, since it was an app based company, mm -hmm. they have. They have certain types of data that other companies wouldn't have, right? Yeah, I would so assume we were, so. Yeah, so we were able to take that data and look like literally at the zip code level day by day, you know, mm -hmm. within the course of the season, we went back three years prior, we looked at four match markets and we were able to model that data and figure out literally, almost we could almost tell the company to the, you know, the exact number of additional downloads they were able to get within the marketplace during the season, you could even see like at one point during the season, they did a big activation and you could see the bump and downloads, you know, in our model. And so we were in, of course, they know, they know because they're the company, what each download is worth to them and they were able to do the math. And so, so that's just an example of that's each, each situation is unique and each situation is different. I guess that's my answer. So, but it all really does start with knowing, okay, Hey, what do we got? Right. Yeah. From a data standpoint, what, what can we get our hands on? And I'm assuming the next point is, okay, what do we not have that we want? Right. And how do we get access to that? How can, exactly. how can ideally how the teams can do it? Are the teams, but I know that in the past, like teams have been pretty protective of that data. Are yeah. they becoming more willing to share that with the partners to help them understand what the ROI is? Do you, do you see that as something that's um, an opportunity or is that a challenge as well? No, that you're you're right. They were they are becoming much more willing because that's being talked about in the negotiations on the front end. So again, that yeah. that was never you never really used to be part of the conversation. You know, so nowadays it's it's a you know when you're the property, you're trying to you're asking for. And normally, a property is going to have some kind of an evaluation done on what the value of those assets are. I that's what Tigers does quite a bit of that. Like they'll mm -hmm. put a bill say, hey, this 
this asset you have is worth X number of dollars, right? And, and then on the other side, you got the brand saying, well, you know, we don't think it is. We think it's worth whatever. And so part of that whole conversation, though, is going to be measurement as we go through the process. And so uh, the, the uh, NHL team I mentioned that we're working for, they're, you know, it's in the contract. It's a three-year partnership. The team has to measure, has to have a third party, i.e. us, do the measurement each of those years and then present it back to the to the partner. And that's just, it's part of the process. Regard, you know, and so again, back in the day, you know, you the property wants to do everything they can to make it look as positive as they can. And so they can, you know, they can like, oh, whatever. <laughs> I want to tell a good story here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, you know, it's, it's, you know, you, you, so, so, so what's happened is it's putting more pressure on the property yep. to make sure that they're activating in a way that's actually going to produce the results the brand wants, which is why we've moved from calling it sponsorships to partnerships. Yeah, amen. It really is a partnership now, right? It's a partnership between the two entities to make sure both entities achieve the objectives that they want to achieve. So, and this is new territory for a lot of sports teams too, right? Because, you know, they, you come back on. We not to dive back into 15, 20 years ago. It, right? It was like, hey, you love you love sitting in the box right, for the baseball yeah. game. You know, come on, we'll spend some money, we'll have a good yeah. time, and you know, have a great thing like that. This is new ground for a lot of teams, and I'm wondering because you've mentioned you know you're working with all of the major professional sports leagues, both you know some of your own experience and your students are working on projects and things like that. I'm wondering if what you hear and what you see from the different leagues. Are certain leagues more adept at this than others? Can you can you speak to in generalities regarding that, or is it really just team by team? It really is team by team because mm -hmm. even in leagues, there's big big gaps and differences in terms of how analytics is used. Yeah, um, and I mean, so as an example, one of my students got hired. I guess that was four years ago, and uh, he went to the Carolina Panthers, and his his title was business intelligence coordinator, mm -hmm. and. To the best of my remembrance, he was the very first person who had a title like that at the Carolina Panthers. So, so again, four or five years ago, even NFL teams didn't even have business intelligence. They really weren't even thinking about it. And so uh, we've got a student interning right now with the SEC, for example. And as best I've heard, he's the very first person that's ever been there that that's his role is business intelligence work. And so so even your you know, your top, top leagues and teams are really just now starting to adopt and hire business intelligence trained people to help. So it's it's really, really new. We're it's a new frontier. <laughs> Do you feel like the there's an arms race coming as more teams start to realize then more leagues start to realize the potential here that all of a sudden we're not gonna be able to you're not gonna be able to produce enough graduates to fill all the needs. Yeah, well that'd be a great problem for us. Right? We'd love that. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh -huh. Uh, yeah, I think you're going to see the same thing you saw happen sort of in baseball with Moneyball. You mm -hmm. know, once they opened, sort of once they opened up that that uh, that opportunity, people start seeing the impact of it. You know, you start seeing, you know, and so most of your MLB teams have huge staffs of analytics people that work on the spin rates of the baseball and, and all that. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you're so I think you're going to see the same thing happen on the business side. And by the way, a third area that's coming is sports science analytics. I think okay. that's a big third area. That's uh, this. I'm, I'm wearing. I'm wearing my whoop right here, right? All right. And so, yeah, all the sports science data, all the deep science. I got the garment on. There you go. Yeah, and so I think those are really the three areas where analytics is impacting sports, and and the Moneyball side is 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 going is going like crazy, particularly in baseball. It's still get, getting picked up in soccer and some of the other sports. Business analytics and sports science analytics are in their infancy stage, but that's where that's where the jobs are going to be in the next ten to fifteen years, I think. As that starts to grow, as that continues to grow, 
right? You got people who are very capable in analytics and delivery. I'm, I'm interested in something that, you know, it seems like you can't open up the paper today without reading about the impact that artificial intelligence has on this industry, that industry. And certainly I would imagine that's going to be the case here with your program and the focus of it. Artificial intelligence is already becoming so pervasive in our daily lives. And I'm wondering if you have some thoughts or insight on how that's going to impact partnerships in particular um, from both the properties and the brand sites. I mean, what applications do you see coming in the next months, years coming forward? <laughs> I guess maybe with artificial intelligence, next couple of minutes, seems like yeah. it's happening so quickly. What are your thoughts there? Yeah, I mean, with artificial intelligence, we're, in fact, it's interesting you say that. I literally just got through teaching a class in May a sports marketing strategy class and for the first time ever because we have chat gpt now that we didn't have just a year ago yeah uh, i we tried to incorporate that into our strategic planning process and and again i know it's going to change you know literally monthly this thing changes but kind of where we are right now with with those sorts of tools is uh, while they are great at maybe generating get our, kind of get our thinking going kind of move us beyond have you ever had you've had uh, um uh, writer's block, right? So mm -hmm. like, block, kind of yep. getting sort of priming the pump and getting us thinking, but still at the end of the day, I think it, it requires a, a human being with a, with a much broader understanding of things, to be able to, the nuances, the all, there's just so many other you know, aspects that, that the human being still going to be involved in that. And it's right. just, uh, I think in, in my thinking, AI is going to be an important part of the the process, but it's not going to be an end-all be-all. We're not just going to be able to go chat GPT and it's going to pop out uh, an activation <laughs> strategy for Coca-Cola and the Falcons that's going to make them $10 million. You know, that's not, a human being is going to have to be involved in that, I promise you. So <laughs> Yeah, so it's basically but for taking the blank sheet of paper and putting some thinking to it, it's right. more along the lines of you still need the expertise and the background to shape that into something that has utility to it. So right. great from an efficiency standpoint to maybe get rolling, right. but still requiring the the back end associated with it. Yeah, exactly. And that and that's how we used it in May. We did uh, we had three projects we worked on in May with my students, including a project with a professional uh, soccer team in England, and we uh, we did one with IndyCar. Um, in fact, the IndyCar was really cool. It was a uh, uh, first time ever in motorsport history. They've got a nonprofit as a naming partner for mm -hmm. an IndyCar event, which is similar to St. Jude's, you know, in, in yep. golf. So we helped develop the uh, the strategy, the activation strategy for that, and uh, to help. And your phone is ringing off the hook right now, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And then you got these guys with it podcasts really saying, "Talk to me." I mean, you, you got to get yeah, some no, we, time to teach. Yeah, yeah. No, it's uh, it's fun. I love it. I would I wouldn't trade in for anything. But uh, but no. So we're but but again, we use Chat GPT and some some of those tools for the very first time ever, literally just last month. And yeah. it was and it was it was very helpful, but it was definitely not an end-all be-all by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see how that evolves. And I guess it's sort of a natural segue into, you know, with 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 AI providing guidance and, you know, all data and available and analytics that are available to us, you know, is there still a place for trusting the gut when it comes to marketing? I mean, sometimes I know something, you just kind of see it and kind of go, eh, not sure that feels yeah. right. Is there still a place for that? Yeah. Yeah. There always will be. Uh, it's the same with coaching. You know, that's mm -hmm. uh, got your coaches out there that are just like, well, this is what the sheet says. It's fourth and four and I'm going to do it. Right. You know, 
And, uh, you know, and that's not how analytics works. <laughs> like context matters, like right. it actually it does matter. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, we, uh, we have, we have a coach down here in the sec that does that all the time. He, he constantly makes, you know, calls that you're like, what in the world is he thinking? And then it doesn't work. And then the post game, he's like, well, it was the analytics. And it's like, no, I mean, oh, okay. You know, so- <laughs> you do have to look at it in the scenario, right? The, the sheet yeah. says four and two, go for it, but my players are exhausted. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there you are the, the what you know, just what is the flow of the game, and and that's where the 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 intuition comes into it. And so, so it's a it's a little bit of both, and I think it's a little bit of both on the business side as well. You have to have that business acumen that's going to you know that, that's going to help you understand you know whether or not yes, this maybe this is what the data says. But my business acumen says, well, I think we need to tweak this a little bit this way or that way, you know, and that's the, uh, so yeah, I think that's the same thing on that side. I'm glad you brought up the the coaching side at this juncture too, because I want to touch on, I know we've been talking a lot about sports marketing and brands and things like that. Yeah. Um, but I do want to talk about Project Samson a little oh, okay. bit, because I think this is, this is actually pretty cool. And I'm going to read you a quote from Sanford's uh, football coach. That they said about oh, good. Project Samson, right? He said, um, "Look at uh, the difference in uh, in us being near champions in previous years and conference champions this year is directly related to the benefits our team received through Project Samson." So, so what I'd like from you is, can you both define what Project Samson is and its goals for the university and what you found? I mean, some of the some of the things related to just that. Yeah. Well, I'm first of all just honored that he would say such a thing like that because that mm. is uh, that put, you know, validates our work and and i'll say 99.9 percent of the success of our athletic department goes to our coaches and our players not to my analytic students but i'm glad that they you know that, that the athletic department is seeing that you know the value that we're bringing but but no we have a really unique relationship with our athletic department it's it's uh you know in, in most universities the academic side of the university and the athletics that they kind of war they fight each other. <laughs> yeah right there's not a lot of crossover there no, no. And we've got major crossover. We're, yeah. we're very integrated with our athletic department. Our students are over there all the time working with data and helping in, in you know, all kinds of different ways. And in this season, you know, the football team, of course, won a conference championship, but not only the football team, we actually won 11 so championships this year, which was a wow. all-time first school. Yeah. We won the only, only division one school in the country to win basketball, Men's basketball, uh, football, and baseball—all won conference championships, uh, which was which is incredible. Plus, we won women's soccer, we won volleyball, and so we just we crushed it this year Man. in all of our in all of our sports. And and again, I think the athletic director Martin Newton and the the coaches would say that Project Samson in the Center for Sports Analytics and the work we're doing is definitely contributing and help you know helping helping us have just that little bit extra edge uh, as we get on the get on the playing field, and so. Uh, so yeah, so that that's kind of my, my little promo right there. So what are some of the specific applications that you see for t- bearing particular fruit? Yeah, so there's again sort of two sides of what we're doing. We we have three students embedded in just about every team on campus, mm. including by the way, not only we also do uh, some work with UAB baseball, UAB volleyball. We do our pro soccer team in town, our pro basketball team as well, but mainly our our teams. So we've got a senior, a junior, and a sophomore, and they're all they're analytic students, and they're working with two different types of data. They're working with the player performance data, i.e., how many passes did you complete, you know, like all of that kind of stuff, like you know, player performance on mm-hmm. from that perspective. Plus, they're also working with all the sports science data that we're collecting from Polar, from Whoop, when they're in the weight room. Uh, we have um, 
like it's like Star Wars. Our our weight room equipment is <laughs> unreal. I mean, really, it's unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, you cannot get away. If you go in the weight room, you cannot get away with just sort of like going going halfway. I mean, you can't do it. The machine knows. <laughs> it's tell, it's giving you the feedback instantaneously. Yeah, and the coach too, by the way. Yeah, okay, yeah, there's that too. <laughs> <laughs> and your and your teammates. So we'll bring in the O line, and they'll all be doing uh, you know a bench press or whatever at the same time, and they're all on every rep getting feedback and knowing where they're rated. Wow. As compared to the others, so it creates competition, immediate feedback, uh, and, and all of that. And so, um, so yeah, so that data that data is so powerful. And then when you lay that aside, the the data that we're, we're collecting in terms of like recruiting data for which recruits should we bring in the, the transfer portal? We're looking at things like uh, the team that's coming up. We're doing analytics on the upcoming opponent and trying to find like tendencies within them. And so that's more like strategy. So we're we're helping the team on multiple ways use data to be able to put the right formation, to have the right players. And then once they get there, to train the most efficient way possible so we can make them the best athletes possible. So when you put all that together, Guess what? It produces eleven conference championships, you know, in, in a season, and so it's uh, and it's just really neat that it's a learning lab for my students. So my students are oh, it's so practical. Yeah, and so they're getting spent three years doing this stuff, and then when they graduate, guess what? There are all kind of teams lining up that want to hire these these students. <laughs> well, I'm mean, I'm assuming that your phone is beginning to ring from other universities, other athletic departments, saying uh, eleven conference championships. Give us a secret sauce. Like, how are you doing this? Yeah, it is. But again, one of the, one of our advantages, I think, is because of the type of school we are. We're a smaller university, mm -hmm. about 7,000 students, roughly. Uh, our educational model is very much experiential learning. Mm -hmm. It's small class sizes. It's professors. Uh, okay. we're, we're kind of mentoring. So, so all of these students that are currently in these engagements in season, each one of them also meets weekly with a professor to kind of help them with whatever they're working on for that week. So for example, I mentor the soccer, the students that are in doing soccer and volleyball and golf, they meet with me every single week and whatever is the, the current hot thing that they need help with. I help them with that. So I'm so learning you know, with the professor alongside them and that, so all that to be said, not every university can deliver that because that's not every university's you know educational model, but it right. is Sanford's. I mean, we're, you have the capability, the size and the capability to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And we're, I mean, we're, so we're ranked number one in the nation by the wall street journal. Got to put this plug in there. Number Absolutely. One, by the wall street journal. You've heard of that, right? Uh -huh. uh, for faculty student engagement. Wow. So the quality of the relationship. And so that educational approach allows us to do these sorts of real world, you know, kind of, kind of learning with our students. And so uh, big, big universities can't pull that off. They just can't. And so, yeah. And I, you know, that kind of is an interesting segue into the last question too, as we begin to wrap up here. And then, you know, before I do that, I want to make sure I thank you for your time in doing this, but that kind of direct interaction and that kind of mentorship, you know, it's clear that faith plays a really important role for you, both personally uh, and professionally. And I'm wondering if you can provide a little bit of guidance or insight into how your belief has guided your development and your career as you've progressed to the point where you are. Yeah, yeah. As a, you know, as a, I'm a I'm a Christian, been a Christian mm -hmm. for you know most of my life, and as a as a person of faith, one of the things that is super important to me is investing in the next generation. Mm. It's people. You know, yeah. and so and that's that's really why I went into this profession to be a college professor to begin with, and why I've coached for so many years because I love investing in people, right? And so, uh, and so, 
and Sanford is a place again that is it's all about that. We're all about people. We love we love our students. We love getting involved with our students. We love getting to know our students. And so when a student comes to Sanford, we, I tell I tell high school students this all the time. It's like, look, you're coming, you're joining a family, whether or not you know it or not. You're joining the Sanford Sports Business yeah. family, and it's a lifetime deal. It's not just <laughs> you don't get out of the family. <laughs> no, you don't. I mean, I've got I've got one of my graduates speaking in my class on Friday. I've yeah. got another speaking the next Friday. I've got you mentioned GMR earlier. Well, one of my students, you know, worked there for several years, and so there these are I tell continuity them, almost like my kids. You know, yeah, I yeah. have. I've now got like 200 kids that all work out in the world of sports, you know, it's kind of, kind of cool. <laughs> so, I appreciate that. And Dr. Uh, Darren White, I uh, really appreciate the time, but before I let you go, I have to put you into the lightning. Um, oh, this is okay. going to be a series of questions. Um, and I'm going to uh, request, if not even demand um, some short, efficient answers from you on these next few questions. Are you prepared? I am ready to go. Let's, Let's do, do this kind of thing. All right. You were recently inducted into the Union University Hall of Fame. So congratulations for that. Uh, what color is the jacket they gave you? The jacket. They didn't give me a jacket. They gave me uh, they gave me a, a really nice plaque, which is actually over oh, over the shoulder right there. All right. All right. Okay. So, so, so no jacket. Well, maybe I'll give you a jacket for participating in this podcast. Uh, next question. You are uh, both a soccer, uh, former soccer coach, also uh, a pretty big soccer fan, I imagine. Um, I give you three words to describe Lionel Messi's arrival in Miami to uh, play for Miami. Uh, what are they? Uh, they're epic, epic, and epic. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, absolutely off the chart, unbelievable for for Major League Soccer, for soccer in our country. Uh, the the data alone is already starting to be pretty amazing. Um, you recently published an article titled "Quote." Team loyalty and intergenerational influence, the role of nurturant, nurturant fathering in the transference process. Question, can you translate that into English? Yeah, sure. So, and I'm going to do it super, super quick here. So it's number lightning one, round. That's the only thing we take. Yeah, no, number one influence on, on your fandom, all the research shows this, is the who, who your father was a fan of. Very Father's good. the number one influence. Okay. So here's okay. the question. We know that. I mean, research has shown that over and over again. The question was, does the quality of the father-child relationship in the in the formative years, does that impact that transference of fandom? That's, I, such, a, that's, that's, a, that's such a better title. Yeah, well, I know. There you go. But, yeah, we're, we're <laughs> academics. we got to make this sound really <laughs> All right, last question. Uh, the singularity is defined as the moment when the advance of technology becomes uncontrollable. As someone who works in data and analytics, can you please tell us when the trend, when the singularity is going to occur? Um, honestly, not something I ever really think about or worry about. So, <laughs> <laughs> so the, answer, the short answer there is absolutely not and don't even want to think about it. I love, uh, I love technology. I love the metaverse. I love every, all of it. It's awesome. I then bring more. Bring it on. I mean, every, half the world is welcoming the singularity. Here it comes. <laughs> yeah, come on. Bring it on. I mean, we'll, we're, we're, uh, We'll, we'll, you know, our human brains can handle, can handle it, I think. So, yeah. All right. So there's the good news from Dr. Darren, Darren White. Thanks so much for joining us, man. And I appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of the one-on-one -on -one Sports Business Conversations podcast. If you enjoyed it, we always appreciate a subscribe, share, comment, or like. And don't forget, you can always find past episodes at abcpartners.com slash podcast. This podcast is written, produced, edited, and hosted by Dave Almey. And the theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. <laughs> <laughs>